you mentioned the cybersecurity is like a buzzword, something that people are, you know, bringing up, for example, in the news on a daily oh, basis, yeah. right? We usually think about cybersecurity as an afterthought. It's something that, you know, you think about after it's been a breach. Welcome to the AI Decodes the System podcast. I'm your host, Amber Ivy, also known as AI. AI Decodes the System is a series of podcast interviews with industry experts and everyday people who will help explain topics related to policy, tech, data, law, and other current issues in plain language. The goal of this podcast is to help close the knowledge gap in a world that's moving fast and inundated with a lot of information. So sit back, grab your notebook, and enjoy the show. Tanisha Martin is the founder and executive director of Black Girls Hack, BGH Foundation, a national cybersecurity nonprofit organization dedicated to providing education and resources to underserved communities and increasing the diversity in cyber. She has worked in a consulting capacity for over 15 years and in her spare time is a cyber instructor, mentor, and red team ethical hacker. Yes, I said ethical hacker. What does that mean? You'll find out in a few minutes. But she's an advocate for diversity in cyber and the executive suites. Hi, Tanisha. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you here. I know we were talking about it in the pre part, um, but I'm so glad to have you uh, on the show. And I'm really excited to jump into this conversation about cyber. But first, you have five master's degrees, and I did not know that. So when I read that, I was in shock, and I was like, oh, my gosh. What made you decide to jump into cyber and to focus on that with the five degrees? And feel free to also talk about what those degrees are as well. Sure. So I do have five degrees. The first one was in healthcare policy and management. The second one is in IT. The third one is in cybersecurity. The fourth one's in digital forensics. And then the last one was an MBA. And the last three, I think, were probably a lot more intentional um, because as I was going through my my school from when I did the cybersecurity one, I wasn't getting any of the hands-on that I needed and wanted. A lot of the jobs that I was applying for, they wanted me to have hands-on experience and I wanted to be able to, you know, communicate that experience during my interviews, but I wasn't getting any of that through my classes. You know, the classes were very much so talking about education theory and not so much the practice, not so much like the hands-on. So I kept going back to school to try to, you know, get a little bit more hands-on and, and and I wasn't getting it. And in the end, the MBA was just because my end goal is to become a chief information security officer. So, you know, I think above all else, I need to understand the business of cybersecurity as much as I understand the technical things. So, you know, it makes sense in my mind, you know, once you get past the, you know, hey, I wanted to at some point go to medical school, <laughs> but, you know, Past that healthcare one, you know, I think everything else has been towards me being more technical and being able to, you know, serve in a cybersecurity and a CISO for somebody's uh, fortune company one day. I love it. Like one, that's amazing. It makes sense to me as you walk through it. First one, you were thinking one thing. Then after that, you started going down the path that you're on now today. So it totally makes sense. I know for you and I, we first met on Clubhouse and then I was like, hey, Tanisha, can you come talk to these youth in Baltimore who are interested in um, going to college and talking to them about careers. So one of the things I really appreciate about you and value about you, whether we were on Clubhouse or even when you help to volunteer, you're always about helping people to understand cyber, helping them to understand how they too can get into the space. Like what made you make that your purpose? I guess is the best way to ask you that question. Yeah, I, I think that when I was trying to get into cybersecurity, I was not finding people were very helpful. I wasn't mm-hmm. finding a lot of information. And when I looked around, I didn't see a lot of 
black people in this space, particularly black women in this space. Oh, yeah. So, you know, for me, I think I live every day now trying to be the example that I had hoped that I had seen when I had first started out, you know, looking for somebody to look up to. I think the other thing is that when I take a look at cybersecurity as a whole, especially from the education perspective, most of the time we figure out what we want to be when we grow up. <laughs> um, quote on quote unquote when we're in the younger you know like high school um, right. in some cases in in middle school right mm-hmm. a lot of the folks that I interact with through my organization Black Girls Hack they come to me in maybe their twenties or their thirties or their forties or even higher but most of those folks have already gone to school and despite my background I'm not in the a habit of telling people like, hey, go back to school, get more education, get more <laughs> education. I feel like a large part of what it is that I'm trying to do, you know, is not so much, you know, hey, go and get more theory. It's more so like, let's do more practice. So, mm. you know, I think that if we're going to see, you know, changes in downstream things like like machine learning and algorithms right. and just the decision makings that determine things like how much medicine we should be taking or whether or not yeah. somebody should go to jail or not those decision systems you know need more diversity they need more young women who take a look at the algorithms who take a look at the space and say you know hey we need to make a difference you know so for me talking to those people i think helps to expose people to cybersecurity and let them know that there's a career out there so that they have more time to be able to, you know, do research and try to get to a point where they're able to have be strategic about their careers. So you called out a few things that I want to take you back to. So I understand what you said, but I want to make sure for the audience, they get it. You said something about the algorithms that either help predict, I'll just say predictive analytics or predict who should go to jail, what medicines you should take. Talk a little bit more about that. And what do you mean by having diverse voices in that space? Sure. So when we take a look at, you know, how we decide things like medicine, I just, I always default to the criminal justice system and healthcare. There are systems where people say, you know, hey, this is the process that you should go through to make those decisions. And a lot of those times that process has bias in it, right? It takes a look at things like, for example, the history of, you know, what's been going on. And sometimes that history can be very discriminatory, especially towards people of color, especially when you take a look at existing statistics. So when you're trying to figure out whether or not a person is more likely to reoffend, for example, right. um, you know, that's going to be based off of previous data. And that previous data might be skewed to the fact that, for example, certain systems like the justice system and police systems, you know, may have been intentionally targeting people of color, right? And what we want to see is that we want people to be able to call out that bias as it exists and say, hey, we need to take a look at different data that maybe is not so discriminatory. Because when we're developing these systems that are going to be deciding things like the healthcare, who are going to be deciding justice, we want to be able to have systems that are as unbiased as possible. I always tell people the story of how my mother was getting ready to do a kidney. She was in renal failure and she needed a kidney. And for kidneys, that's one of those areas of medicine where there's like a race adjustment. So whereas, you know, they don't just look at the numbers human per human, you know, they decide whether or not somebody is going to be able to get a kidney based on an adjustment for race, you know, which is why they say that, you know, black people are different in some way and -hmm. therefore maybe not be qualified for a a kidney that they would otherwise get, like, for example, if they were white. And, you know, I think that those types of adjustments that are made are because they did not base those algorithms off of data that was unbiased, right? Mm -hmm. You know, again, we're taking a look at 
you know, systems that are learning from what's come before us. And I, I kind of think about that as garbage in, garbage out. You know, right. if you're not putting good data in there, then you're going to get, you know, skewed numbers that you then feel like you have to adjust. And, you know, I think that on a most human basis, we need more women in the space to be able to call that out, to do that research and to identify those biases earlier in their career so that when they go to school and they decide to major in math or computer science or whatever it is that they dream about doing, that they can take a look at some of those ideas and research Mm -hmm. them and try to find better ways for those systems. You hit on so much and I want to pull out two points. One around criminal justice. Like I think back to like stop and frisk in New York. And I think back to programs I'm familiar with, like the stat programs where it would say they would put cops on dots or they would say, here's the data. And the data says crime is happening in the black community. So that's where we're going to send more cops. And it's actually like a bit of confirmation bias because if you put cops in anywhere long enough, they're going to see crime. And then even with stop and frisk, and if you're not putting them in other neighborhoods, you're not going to see crime. So that's where you get right. some of the data being skewed. And then with stop and frisk, I think they had stopped over 400,000 people. And then we found out like some ridiculous number, like very small percentage of people they stopped actually had something on them. I'm like, if you would have taken that same approach to a predominantly white community, like, come on, y'all. They've done blind studies on pulling people over and like taking race out of the factor and just pulling over people. And they've seen like drug... Uh, offenses happen almost equally. But mm-hmm. if you target one community, then your data is only going to say it. this only happens in old school Harlem, not so hot, whatever they call it now. But this only <laughs> happens in this neighborhood because you put police in that neighborhood and therefore you're going to find something if you're looking for it. The, right. other piece, the other piece you said that I think was very important was around like the health care, around what you're saying around the kidney. Like I think back to someone was telling me an example about how there was a male and female doctor, but I think they were working on a female patient. But on the female, where they were trying to do something was going to be slightly different or thinking about police vests for police officers are made mostly for men. But for a female, that could actually cause an issue based on where her vest is built. So it's just interesting how you're bringing up things about just understanding the community, understanding how bias is happening, because it happens all over the place. Yeah, it most certainly does. And those two examples that you brought up, the stop and frisk and the vest, you know, those are just some of the ones that are more high profile. But we also see things, you know, where we have a lot of systems that are supposed to be able to do facial recognition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, studies have shown that those facial recognition systems, especially by, you know, some of your favorite high profile companies are biased in that, you know, they have very high error rates specifically among black women. Mm -hmm. You know, so what that means is that when you have these, these systems and they're supposed to be saying, you know, yes, this person did it, or they're supposed to be trying to figure out, you know, whether this person committed this crime or, you know, robbed this bank, right. It's going to err more on black faces, which means that we're going to be incarcerated unjustly, right. You know, which is going to affect our ability to be able to provide for our families and pack so many different things. So there are a lot of different systems that we can point out that are very dependent on decisioning systems. And these systems are based off of algorithms and, you know, we need people to take a look at the data. We need people to take a look at the algorithms and, you know, call out the bias where it is and find a better way, figure out where we can make adjustments so that we can have more unbiased systems. And in order for us to do that, we need people to be able to do the research. Like I said, I'm not in a position to be like, hey, you person who's been in your career for 20 years, go back to school and do this, right? Ah, Um, Because again, that's causing more money for school. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want that for anybody's life. 
which is why I think it's important that we reach back to the kids who are younger, who, you know, still have their educations in front of them so Mm. that they can take a look at these issues and be able to see them when they're thinking about doing things, you know, science fair projects or research projects or dissertations or whatever it is that they're thinking about doing, because these are problems that I think impact our community in so many different ways and need to be addressed. And we need to see more women and minority people in the space because a lot of times like the same issues that we have in the black community also exist in the Latin community, for example, right? So I'm very passionate about as much as I am for black women advocating on behalf of my Latin brothers and sisters, because again, their community has like the same sort of issues as we have. And we need to see more diversity in the space. As a pen tester, I don't see a lot of women in the Mm. space. I definitely don't see a lot of people in color in the space. So Mm. I think that's something that we need to change. And in some cases, we need to go further back so that we can get people before they figure out what they want to do. Thank you for this work. It's so important. I want to talk a little bit about buzzwords and often terms like cyber, algorithms, AI, all these things feel like just buzzwords. I know in particular, cybersecurity is one of the top three things that chief data officers or chief technologies officers are thinking about in my field, which is government data. But how do you explain cyber to those kids you were just talking about? I have a two-year-old niece and seven-year-old niece, and I always ask this question. How would you explain cyber to my nieces in a way that they could understand? I think I would probably explain it to them by saying that most kids play games. As a part of those games, they may type something into another player or they may enter information in about themselves. And you don't want people seeing that information. So Mm -hmm. in order to protect that information, we have to put security and cybersecurity in place. It's meant to make sure that we stay safe. Same way that like if you're going into a room and you're changing clothes, for example, you might close Mm -hmm. the window. You want to make sure that nobody's supposed to see anything they're not supposed to see. So we have to put things in place to make sure we keep it safe. I think that's probably how I would explain it to at least the the younger (laughs) person because a lot of kids spend a lot of time, like for example, on their iThings or their Fire tablets or whatever, playing the games, they're you know doing things and interacting. A lot of their education is on a screen somewhere, even if they're doing something as simple as coloring, they might be coloring on their tablet as opposed okay. to, you know, actually crayon messing up the walls, right? So, <laughs> you know, I think that their frame of reference is a lot different than ours when we were told, hey, go outside and play. A lot of times people now for so many reasons are maybe it's not so safe to go outside. You need to stay inside to do something. Mm-hmm. So what is that going to be? It needs to be educational. It needs to expand your mind and allow you the ability to grow. And And I think that these kids, especially ones who were basically born with a tablet in their hands, are going to be in a much better place educationally than, for example, my mother's generation where mm-hmm. they didn't have computers growing up and they didn't have electronics really. So I think that they're in a much better position to be able to understand the way the computers work and the way the security works just by you know interacting with these things that they do every day. I love your explanation. I will borrow it. I will accredit it to you. But that's a very good way to explain it because my niece, one of them lives on Roblox. One of them lives, same one lives on YouTube and she's on Roblox make, making friends and stuff like that, of course, under her parents' guidance. But she's in that world playing and interacting. I love that explanation. I want to ask you another one. How would you describe ethical hacking? And you could take this up to a higher grade, let's say for a fifth grader, because I know a lot of people are like hacking is a bad thing. You shouldn't hack. What is ethical hacking? So ethical hacking is basically trying to get into someone's computer or application 
but you have permission, right? There's two <laughs> types of people who do it, right? There are people who have permission and there are people who are not, right? So if you try to break into your brother's account to try to post something crazy on his wall to try to embarrass him, you don't have permission. So that's not right. ethical, right? But if you have permission, let's say you're posting something for your parents' birthday, you can log into their account and post a special message for them, then you have permission. That's basically the difference between ethical hacking and just hacking. It's having permission. And I think that it's important to note that generally you need written permission um, (laughs) (laughs) when we're talking about hacking, but in general, it, it comes down to a matter of consent, like whether or not you're allowed to do it or not. That is the easiest way for listeners to understand for sure. And I thank you for that. I want to shift a little bit. So, and to really like dig into cybersecurity. So as technology advances and things become more digital, we're all online. We're about to be living online. feels like it with the metaverse, if not already, right? Even my niece in Roblox, like she thinks that's her little world. So understanding cybersecurity is going to become more important for all of us. Can you talk through some real world examples that you can share with the audience about cybersecurity? How does it actually play out in the real world? Absolutely. A lot of people, when they tend to approach like the computer systems, they think about mm-hmm. ease of use, right? So yeah. they may say, you know, hey, I have, you know, the same password for my email and for my YouTube and for my bank account, as long as it's something I can remember. And they think that because somebody else doesn't, but what they don't take into consideration is the fact that I think almost on a daily basis, we're seeing systems being breached, right? We're seeing someone get access to your password. And if they know, for example, that that email and that password belong to you, then they can try that same email and password on a lot of different sites to see what they can get access to. And I I think that people, when they're considering their security, they try to say, hey, as long as somebody doesn't know this password, right? But it's really just a matter of time. You're you're racing against time. Like if you have, for example, a four-digit pen, Mm -hmm. there are, I think it's something like 10,000 combinations based on that, right? So it's Mm -hmm. only a matter of time and I can try all of those 10,000s and, you know, figure out what it is. The same goes for your password. It's only a matter of time before your password gets breached. So you're almost like you want the bad guys to be playing whack-a-mole, right? Mm -hmm. You want them to... By the time they try to get your password because they've gotten it in a breach, you've already changed your password because you're using good, good practices. So things like changing your password, not using the same password, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere, making sure that your password is complex, right? When we take a look year after year at some of these breaches and some of these passwords, except where it's not allowed, a lot of people have passwords like password one, two, three, you know, yeah. four or something, or they will say one, two, three, four with an exclamation point, right? And they'll be like, you know, hey, this is complex. I'm doing a good job. But the thing is, is that when we look at these password dictionaries, we see a lot of these same passwords. So you know, if your favorite team is like the Broncos, then it would be like Broncos 23, you know, exclamation point, right? And we'll see a lot of these same passwords reused. So I think that it's important that you use a different password for different sites. And I think the more that you care about something, the more complex you're going to make that password, especially Mm -hmm. when we're talking about something like your email and all the other applications that you use, you know, allow you to reset your password with that particular email. You want to make sure at a minimum that your email is kept safe. So, you know, making sure that you've got a password that's relatively long and you can use a password manager. I'm getting old. I 
will not recommend that anybody try to remember all of the passwords. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> I can't remember, you know, what day it is or who I am most days. So, you know, <laughs> you can use a password manager and just remember what the password is for that password manager <laughs> so that you can make sure that you're trying to keep yourself safe. I think that that's important because, as you said, we're moving and so many different things mm-hmm. are going to be on the internet. Someone mentioned like the refrigerators on the internet and like, you know, maybe your washer and dryer and like random devices. Right. So it's like, if people are able to break into those, then they'll be able to interact with things that you're using on a day to day basis. Right. Which will affect your ability to be be able to feel safe. So you can protect yourself just by making sure that you do things like, you know, changing your password frequently, making sure that it's complex and not using the same password on a lot of different websites. The other thing is take a look at some of the things that are connected to your internet and see whether or not they have a default password. Like for example, your printers and, you know, other devices, maybe like your video game consoles, you know, anything that might be connected to your network so that you can make sure that you're not giving somebody a a easy way in. That's some great points. And I know when you probably said the thing about the password being password and people having one, two, three is their four digit code. That is real. (laughs) She wasn't saying that just in jest. It is real that people use the word password as the password in one, two, three, four as a number for a four digit code, which to me is like crazy. And when I start hearing like what was really coming out of that, but it's a good point because some people just want something that's easy and they're like, no one's going to figure out I use the word password for my password. Uh, they did. <laughs> so, right. Or they'll be funny. like, <laughs> I changed the, you know, the S and the password right, to so number five. Or, well, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so like, this is top secret. Nobody's going to know. They're gonna know. Like, they know. They they see all the stuff that comes out, especially if they're if you're able to look at the data on all the passwords when you have a breach. Like you're saying, it's very clear to say which ones are most most commonly used, and you can easily um, try to access accounts using those. Very good uh, advice for sure. Um, I want to talk about Black Girls Hack. So you created Black Girls Hack um, to share knowledge and resources to help Black girls and women break through barriers to careers in information technology and cybersecurity. What led you to start this company and what gap were you trying to fill? Other than the um, obvious one, go do <laughs> Yeah, so it was literally based off of my own personal struggles as I was trying to, you know, change careers and get into cybersecurity. I realized as I look around, you know, having been in the IT space for decades at that point, you know, when I looked around, you don't tend to see a lot of people of color, especially women of color in technical roles, you know, you might say, you know, oh, I see them in human resources or jobs that, you know, people tend to think of as more pink jobs or more jobs that are associated with women, right? But there's not any reason why we don't see them or that we shouldn't see them in technical positions. So I think that it's very important that we start to see, you know, more women in that space. And so when I looked at the industry and I looked around me, I realized that there were a lot of people who were also trying to get into cybersecurity and that were also having a hard time, right? I think that the one thing when I approached getting into cybersecurity, I tried to take it from a, I'm going to put everything in their face. Like I'm going to make sure that I've got enough certifications. I've got enough Mm -hmm. education that, you know, nobody can say that I'm not good enough where I don't deserve to be here. Right. But in reality, you know, I was really trying to go about getting into the industry alone, going through the front door, fighting against systems that are, again, have some of that 
bias that we're talking about in the resume scanning, right? I realized that there were other people who were also trying to get into this industry. And I was like, I can't necessarily help myself, but I can definitely help the people who are coming behind me Mm. to make their careers a little bit more strategic, a little bit more efficient in terms of, you know, how they get to success, because that has a lasting impact on like their future generations, their kids, their kids, kids, right? So I may not be able to change, you know, for example, my own situation, but by doing the work that I'm doing can help them to get more certifications, help them to understand what the thought processes that go into it, and then help them to be able to get jobs, right? And once they've got those jobs, then they're able to call it securing the bag, right? Um, (laughs) They're able to get the jobs in IT, they're able to get the jobs in cybersecurity, and we get the added benefit of, you know, the future people who need kidney transplants and the future people who end up with legal struggles don't have to worry about systems that are going to say that they're more likely to offend just because of the color of their skin. We want people to be able to you know, receive judgment in an unbiased way. They say that justice is supposed to be blind. We want to actually make it blind. And in order to do that, we need to you know, change the industry from what it is to add more diversity of thought and more approaches to problem solving and data, for example. So we need to see more women in those spaces. We need to see more people of color in those spaces, people from different backgrounds. Because again, so many things go into what makes a person who they are. And that also you know, determines how they d- make decisions and how they take a look at data. So, you know, I think it's important that, you know, we start to work on getting more diversity into these spaces. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Totally agree on so many different levels and even just having folks who can see it from a different lens. Like you just said, diversity of thought, because you can literally put five people in a room with the same problem. Each one is going to answer that problem or solve it based on their experiences. But if the room leans one race, then you're going to likely get people who probably have similar cultural backgrounds and et cetera. And they're not going to be able to have that other lens, whether it's a room full of white people, room full of black people, room full of Latinx. Like there are just certain things that we do have in common just by culture. But then you add diversity of thought, diversity of different varying abilities, diversity of language, diversity of culture. You'll be able to ask questions and then to make that process better. And I think that's so critical. And I'm excited that you're doing that in the work that you're doing. Can you talk a bit about what does it look like to hang out with you all during any given week? Like I see a lot of cool events happening. If I were someone following you all on Instagram, which will be available in the show notes or just following your organization, what can I expect to happen if I want to get involved? Absolutely. So first of all, I want to say that anybody is welcome to join us to come and hack with us. It doesn't matter, you know, your race, your color, or, you know, in how you classify yourself. You're welcome to come. It doesn't matter if you're a white or, you know, if you're male or whatever the case may be, you're welcome to come. We have a amazing community, which is very supportive. We do mentoring and resume reviews and mock interviews and study groups for different certifications. On a weekly basis, we have like hands-on hacking classes. So we do a Friday night labs, which is basically just, you know, hey, this is the ethical hacking skill and practice, like come and practice with us. We have an intro to capture the flag because a lot of times people say, hey, I think I want to get into cybersecurity, but I'm not quite sure where do I start or what I might be good at? Or, you know, I'm not a developer. I, I don't necessarily know how to code. What can I do outside of that, right? So capture the flags, I think, are a great way for people to be able to see the types of things that are done in cybersecurity and kind of figure out what they might be interested in, right? Because it's kind of like a choose your own adventure and you have the ability, I think, to define who it is that you are. So that's the other thing I love about our community is that there's so many different people who are 
in so many different spaces. So it's like, you can probably find somebody who's interested in your subsectors of like, I'm trying to operate at the space of like cybersecurity and maybe healthcare and maybe, you know, however you want to define yourself, you'll find people who are interested in some of the things. And I think for me, that's the best part is the community. People that are, you know, saying, hey, I'm trying to do this thing. I need some help. Or, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to solve this problem. I don't know how to do it. And sometimes it's, hey, I'm working on a coding problem. Or sometimes it's just, you know, hey, I've got a boss that wants me to do this and and I don't Mm -hmm. feel comfortable. So just having somebody to talk to, especially people who understand what it is. I've got, you know, my day one group of friends that have been around forever for me, but they're not people who are in cybersecurity that I can talk to about like the day-to-day things, the actual work that I'm doing, right? So having friends that are in the cybersecurity space, people who I can talk about oh, there's a, a zero day or there's a threat or there's a you know specific hack against this thing that I'm trying to understand. I can talk to that with my cybersecurity friends, whereas, you know, maybe my day one friends, you know, don't necessarily understand. So again, like community, being able to talk to people who can understand what it is that I'm going through and not feel like I'm speaking a different language. That to me is one of the best parts. Because at some point, folks are going to be like, what are you talking about? Capture the flag. What do you mean by pen testing? What are all these things? But to be in a room where you can speak that common language, that's super helpful. But for those who don't know how to speak that language, one step is like, hey, come to Black Girls Hat, do these events. But what are other steps that you recommend for people who are interested in entering the cybersecurity space? How would you do it? Yeah, I, I would tell them to join all of the groups. There are a lot of different organizations that represent different subsectors within the cybersecurity. So there are obviously, you know, race-based ones, Black Girls Hack, Blacks and Cyber, Black Girls and Cyber. There's ones for our Latin brethren and sister and Raices is one of the organizations we work very closely with. The organization for, you know, specifically girls in the space, women, cyber jitsu, girls in security. So join a lot of organizations. You don't have to just join one. It's not like you pick one and that's your choice forever and ever, right? (laughs) So you can join a lot of different organizations. A lot of different groups have different things that are going on, right? So as you figure out, you know, what it is that you're interested in, you can kind of like skew, you know, where you spend your time based on the organizations that are giving you what you need for your personal plan for, I call it world domination. You know, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you can find an organization that supports you and what it is that you're doing. But it's good to know, especially what it is that they've got going on. So we use Meetup, we use um, LinkedIn and our social media pages, for example, when we have things going on. The other thing that I would suggest if you're interested in cybersecurity is to go to a cybersecurity conference like DEF CON or mm-hmm. there's ones that are closer like the B-Sides or um, there's one in the DMV area, it's called ShmooCon. A lot of these conferences have a meeting of the minds where they talk about, you know, things that are being done in cybersecurity. And you can take a look at some of that research and some of those talks and try to figure out what you might be interested in. The other thing that I would say is bring yourself to whatever it is that you're going to do in cybersecurity. Assuming that you're not fresh out of school, maybe you've got, you know, some time in like hospitality or maybe you've got time in healthcare, right? Take that experience in healthcare and look for a healthcare organization that needs cybersecurity mm-hmm. help. All healthcare organizations need cybersecurity yes, help, you. right? <laughs> so like don't abandon your experience, whether that be like, you know, hey, I've worked as a, a greeter or someone in sales, you know, take that experience to a cybersecurity organization that needs that type of help. So don't feel like you have to start over and you have to go back and get an entry-level job. You can target your LinkedIn, you target your resume appropriately. You can bring that experience and bring who you are as a person today 
to that job as opposed to feeling like you have to start all over. I think those are really, really good points. Like getting active, seeing what's out there. What would you say to the person who says, do I need to go back to school for this? <laughs> Ooh, no, no, ma'am. Um, no, sir. You do not need to go back to school. I think that once you get like maybe a bachelor's and maybe like a master's degree, that at that point you need to work on the hands-on piece. There's so much out Mm -hmm. here for you to learn. People call it YouTube University. You can use YouTube to find information. You can find, you know, groups that are actually doing work in these spaces and use it to learn. I like, there's a lot of different training platforms out here in cybersecurity. We have a lot of partnerships with those types of uh, training providers that we have free memberships for our members Mm -hmm. so that you can actually get in, you know, train yourself, get the hands-on skills that you need, right? And then be able to to take those skills. And once you understand what it is that you're doing, you know, for example, like in a home lab, you can use that experience to be able to talk about it in interviews, talk about how you can bring your experience from, you know, whatever it is that you've been doing the past couple of years to this job and make you better at that doing that job. Because as much as and recruiters are looking for people with specific skills, they're also looking for people who can explain what it is that they do and how they can bring that value to those organizations. So I think that as much as it is a, a matter of knowledge, it's a matter of, of communication and being able to explain what it is that you do and the value that you bring. One of the things I love about when you used to do your, or I'm not sure if y'all still do them, but y'all used to do the Cyber Women Wednesdays and people would come and ask you questions like, how do I, after I get these certifications, I haven't worked in cyber, how do I get a job? Like I don't have the experience. And one of the things I remember you saying was like putting up sites. And even now you're talking about like when you're going through it, can you talk a little bit more about that? So once I get the certifications, once I feel like I'm where I need to be on that side, what are some of the ways to get in it and actually secure the job and secure the bag for world domination? Absolutely. So um, I think that, and I, I miss Cyber uh, Women Wednesdays. We haven't done those in such a while, but you know there was so much information that was shared. You know, we should probably bring it back in some form or another. But to answer your question, I think that you know setting up, for example, like a portfolio or setting up like a a GitHub or mm-hmm. um, if you're a penetration tester, for example, I often suggest to people that they set up, you know, for example, a website could be like a static page where they have, mm-hmm. for example, like the walkthroughs of explaining how to walk through that information through the the site. Like, this is what I see. You know, these are the ports that were open. This is what nice. I decided to do based on seeing those ports. This is, you know, how I got in. This is how I was able to escalate my privileges. You know, basically walk a beginner through that. There's also opportunities to teach. If you want to come and train and, you know, help teach people, that was how I learned a lot of the things that I did was, you know, by basically walking through these live on YouTube, embarrassing myself and people looking at me like, why don't you know this? And I'm like, I'm new like you are. Like, I'm just, you know, (laughs) took the chance to put myself in front of the the camera to, you know, and we were going to walk through this together. Right. So and once you set up portfolio, once you start walking through, could be on YouTube, that could be like on a Twitch stream. It could just be you writing it down on a piece of paper. Talk about that that process. Talk about some of your experiences. Talk about your approaches to problem solving, because, again, they don't necessarily care that you've not done it in a job. They care what you know how to do and like what value you're going to bring to the company. Right. So as long as being able to express that in the absence of, you know, they'll say, well, hey, do you have any work experience? you know, doing this and you're like, all right, I worked at Gap for the past four years. You'd be like, no, but I bring customer facing 
experience for the last, you know, four years that I've been working and I've been working on, you know, these labs. And what I'll do is I go through and I explain them to somebody who is non-technical. This could be very important to your company because after you do a penetration test, you have to do a readout. You have to explain to the customer what it is that you found, what it is they need to fix, right? So I've been basically practicing, you know, how to do those readouts so that I can be able to effectively explain to non-technical stakeholders why it is that it matters and how this ties into their business. So I think it's important that you be able to talk about what it is that you do, especially get around the questions like, well, I don't see on your resume anything that has to do with penetration testing or hacking. No, you probably won't. But if you check this webpage or if you check this YouTube channel or if you check this, whatever the case may be, then you can point out what it is that you're doing that will maybe distract them from the fact that you haven't actually done this for a job as of yet. Plus, there's so many job openings. Granted, there's a lot of job openings now, period, (laughs) because we are at a deficit when it comes to skill employees on so many different levels. But cybersecurity is a thing I always see online. I know there's a, I forgot the number, but there's like predictions on how many jobs are going to be in the future. More is going to be going online when we're thinking about Web3 in the future of the metaverse. If that like gets a leg up, I think it will. But there's so many things that are going to happen. And I just, I'm just happy that people are like, you're in this and giving space for others to also be a part of this. So I know today we talked about cyber. We talked a little bit about ethical hacking. Why do you think it's important for listeners to understand how cybersecurity works and ethical hacking works? Why do you think it's important and how will it impact their lives? I think that it'll impact their lives because, you know, it helps you to take a look at yourself and how you're developing systems, right? What it is that penetration testers do is we try to break into systems with permission, right? We try to find ways that people didn't think about. And in doing that, we tend to see things like the OWASP top 10, which is basically here are the, t- the top 10 mistakes that developers keep on making, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, you know, no matter if you're a s- computer science person that's interested in cybersecurity or if you're just a cybersecurity person, you know, knowing those vulnerabilities helps you know what it is to look for. And it also helps you to understand like how they're keeping your information safe, right? Because if you can see, for example, like that when you go to put your information into a website, that it doesn't have a lock on the page or that there is no certificate or that there's so many red flags are on the site, you know that you don't want to necessarily put any privileged information, any personal information into that website, right? So it helps you to be able to identify, you know, the people who are going to keep your data safe versus the people who don't, right? And then I think it also helps you as far as like figuring out what it is that you might be interested in, right? Because if you really enjoy breaking into systems, I tell people all the time, like I know how to, to code, but I choose not to. I am so much more of a breaker than I am a maker. You know, so for me, I enjoy that earlier in my career was quality assurance, you know, trying to break the code that people developed. And now it's, you know, breaking into code that people develop, but it's along the same type of lines. And I think that, you know, just knowing cybersecurity and ethical hacking is going to help your career, no matter what it is that you do. Even if you're a salesperson, or even if you're a person that does something outside that's non-technical, you can bring security concerns to your organization and help them to be able to identify you know, red flags within their existing systems. Because I think that people are much more aware. You mentioned the cybersecurity is like a buzzword. It's something that people are, you know, bringing up, for example, in the news on a daily basis, right? We usually think about cybersecurity as an afterthought. It's something that you think about after it's been a breach or after you finish developing your system, right? And I think that in the future, we need to start looking at including it in 
from the very beginning. When we're doing the requirements gather, when we're taking at the earlier steps of the software development lifecycle, we need to start baking security in so that we have more secure systems. And I think that even if you're a non-technical person, if you are pointing out to your organization, like, hey, have we considered security? Hey, have we considered like how to keep this safe or what the security requirements might be? That that is going to bring value to the organization and they should appreciate that. I agree because I'm so over one, my password is getting <laughs> breached and some company breached because it's not my fault, uh, but our passwords are everywhere on the dark web and everywhere else. And I hate that. So I'm thankful for people like you who are breaking into the systems with permission, written permission. Right. Um, I'm just thankful for you trying to help increase access to people of color, as well as um, women in particular and black women, as well as Latinx men and women on this topic. But I really appreciate it. If folks want to get in contact with you, where can they find you? I am on all of the socials. So I am Miss Tanisha on Twitter. Also Black Girls Hack on all of the platforms everywhere. Our social media person actually just told me that we've got a TikTok now. Um, I don't actually go over there because like I fear for my life. (laughs) But Black Girls Hack has a presence on TikTok and on, you know, all the social media. So at Black Girls Hack, we are also on LinkedIn. So if you're looking for a job or you're looking for a community, our website is blackgirlshack.org. Our membership application is at blackgirlshack.org slash membership. Everybody's welcome to join us to come hack with us. And if we're not doing what it is that you you know think we should be, then let us know. We, we can do a little bit of that too, because we want to be a place for you know everybody to feel welcome. I love it. Also, let me know, what are you promoting right now? What's happening in your world? I want to give you space for that. My very first LinkedIn learning course just came out this week. So I'm very excited about that. So I would absolutely love, it's about how to get started in a career in penetration testing. So I would absolutely love if everybody could check that out. It's maybe about 30 minutes long. So it's a, it's a very short course, but check it out. Tell a friend. And if you want to reach out to me, my DMs are open on all of the platforms. So please feel free to reach out, ask questions, and you know let me know how I can help. Tanisha, thank you so much for tonight. I really enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to talking to you and seeing you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. That is a wrap for the AI Decodes the System podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation with today's guest. Please make sure you go to wherever you listen to this podcast and download, subscribe, like, Make sure you show us that love so we can know that you are loving the content we're putting out. Also, feel free to add a comment and rate us. Thank you all so much and see you next time.